0: I just need to take five and just go away and recover <laughs> Not even high pressure, I don't know the word, to describe it <laughs> Today ladies and gentlemen, we're interviewing John Davison For those who have uh, participated in any camp draft throughout central Queensland Will have come across Davo as he's more commonly known through the uh, camp draft circles Welcome Davo, good to interview you
1: Thanks, Kay. Uh, It's great to be here and thanks very much for the opportunity. It's a once in a lifetime sort of thing, I imagine, yeah.
0: We're going to hear about Davo and his adventures through life. He's uh, told me this morning that he's turned 79 this year, so uh, it's a big life that he's lived. Born and bred in Jaringa and would have started riding at a very young age. John, I guess your father was the person who taught you to ride and I guess he taught you to ride to go mustering to make some use of you, is that right?
1: Well, uh, I started off on a cushion on the pummel of Mum's saddle, to be honest, and uh, she was a great horsewoman also. And uh, then once uh, we got to the stage that we could uh, handle a horse on our own, then Dad grabbed us, of course, yes.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's what all kids in the bush did. And obviously it became a passion of yours, riding. I guess most kids in the bush at your age, it became a passion to ride. It filled many gaps. Uh, Many people rode to school Many people rode for fun and many people rode for work and I guess you did all of those things.
1: I did and uh, a quote of my dad's was that uh, Johnny had run a mile to catch a horse to ride 100 yards. So uh, <laughs> I, really, yeah, I really did love riding I still do. Uh, I still enjoy riding a good horse and uh, hope to for a while yet.
0: At what age did you decide that you were going to go camp drafting? Was it just a natural progression or was it something that you, uh, you got an interest in as time went by?
1: I was very, uh, very fortunate. That when I was eight, I, uh, a young fellow, Tommy Fuller, who was a grandson of old Sam Fuller, the old renowned drover from out in the west, and uh, he had a creamy pony. Tommy had a hole in the heart, and he wouldn't. Uh, his mother wouldn't allow him to draft. But he used to ride to school and run down kangaroos all through the week. But <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he asked me to ride this pony of his in the juvenile draft, and I won it. And that was it. I. Uh, 1948, and that was in Dingo. That was in Dingo.
0: In Dingo, okay, and so uh, that was the start of of what has become a lifetime, I guess, of a of a great sport, a sport that I guess you've developed many many friends with. You've certainly, uh, as I said earlier, a renowned drafter within the district and a renowned drafter within the camp draft circles. I would say on a national basis. What are some of the more memorable uh, times during that time of drafting and the, some of the more memorable drafts you've been to? No doubt there's thousands, so we'll just pick on a couple.
1: Probably the uh, Phyllis Becker Memorial Open at uh, Bralabar was the first open draft I won. Absolutely the most memorable one was uh, 75, the national final open at Claremont. It was the uh, last of the four full-rounders, and uh, I ran 81, 83, 83, 83. Still remember it as clear as yesterday, Uh judge was Mr Jack Burgess, probably one of the most renowned uh, judges in the business, uh, still talked about today. Yeah, uh, plus amongst other, many other placings and, and drafts. Uh,
0: so tell us, what did you actually win at that draft? You know, now it's a fairly hotly contested prize money, and there's some fairly hotly contested prizes at, at drafts across the nation. In that year, what did you win? Just the glory, a ribbon? Pretty much. And <laughs> pretty, a couple of free beers.
1: Pretty much the glory. I think uh, I got an inscribed rug with a year, and I still have it for my horse, and uh I had a big sash and a little silver cup and I think it was 20 pounds. So uh, would
0: a bit a good day's pay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Slightly under the 40,000 <laughs> yeah, that right. they're getting today. Just yeah. a little, yeah. just yeah.
0: a little. I guess uh, as people do, when you when you join a club and you join a sport, you're expected to step up to the mark and help. You were the president of the Duringa Camp Draft for 23 years. That's a remarkable effort. Those of us who are involved in the sport know just how much time and effort it takes to... Uh, conduct a draft what made you keep going back for 23 years
1: uh, nobody else really wanted it <laughs> most of the time and uh, yeah a, tried to keep it going we didn't uh, we were unable to draft every one of those years we, uh, owing to drought and, and different uh, unavailable stock but uh, we would have drafted probably 19 of them uh, the biggest feat was that we uh, in that period we uh, ran the Queensland Championships It started raining on Friday afternoon, about 3 o'clock. By daylight Saturday morning, we'd had 11 inches. There was 23 trucks bogged, just sunk where they stood overnight. And uh, I called all the competitors together, and I I got my committee first, and they told me I was mad. I said, well, people have come a long way. They've come from Longreach, and they've come from all over the place to to be there. We had a 1,000 first-round nominations, which in those days was huge. Mm. And... uh, I grabbed the judge, Jack Burgess, and uh, we went to Dingo and had a look at the ground there, and it was just perfect. They'd only had seven inches up there. And uh, I rang Bill Craig, he was the president, and he said, no, you can use the ground. So I called the, called all the competitors together and uh, said, well, we can move to Dingo and go on there, or we can call it off. we completed the maiden draft that uh, Friday afternoon. John Meeks won it on a little creamy horse. I can't remember his name now. Anyhow, I said, those that want to go to Dingo walk over here, those that don't stay there. This one bloke stayed over there, the rest of us. They didn't all come to Dingo, but uh, we moved it all to Dingo and by 11 o'clock we were drafting in Dingo and uh, they opened the bar and the policeman came over to me. He said, you can't do that. He said, you haven't got a licence for Dingo. I said, oh, come on. It was, it was a bit of a rake. He said, the best I can do, he said, we'll go down to the post office and I'll ring the commissioner. He said, and no. He rang the commissioner and then he put me on and I told him the circumstances. He said, you're all right, mate, go ahead. It's
0: amazing, isn't it? It's amazing what happens in small towns and and I guess, uh, you know, it's just testimony to horse sport. Once it's in your blood, you will do anything to have a ride and that just shows what a great sport it's been. You would have seen a massive growth in the sport in your time. What do you put that down to? You know, we need to be realistic. It's not a cheap sport um, anymore. To be competitive, you need to have a good horse. You need to have some sort of gear and a setup that gets you from point A to point B, but still we see an increase in the numbers. Uh, there's a draft every weekend. If you want to go, you'll find somewhere to draft. What do you put that down to?
1: I think main, uh, the main thing is that it's a family sport. Uh, the, the whole family's involved. I've, I'm, we've got a third generation now with my son and my granddaughters. I've got four granddaughters and they've all competed at this stage and three of them have won drafts already. And Alistair rides, that's my son, and commonly known as AJ. i would still ride, uh, or have been up until I had a bit of an accident a while ago, but uh, I hope to get back into it again. And in a lot of cases, the mother rides as well.
0: Let's just take a step back there, John. AJ, as he's commonly known, who is your son, is very well respected and very well known in the drafting circles and is a very good drafter. I know your family circumstances. Your wife was a city girl and she didn't ride, you obviously were the one who taught him to ride and you must take a great deal of pride and joy in watching him and his success. Did you teach him to ride the same way you were taught?
1: Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, we were fortunate that uh, in, in my time we had pony club and we, uh, I, I got him into pony club very early and uh, that was a very, very, very good grounding. And, yeah, you just had to shorten your stirrups and, and your reins about two holes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And now his daughters, as you've just attested to, they are turning out to be good little riders and are travelling with you. And AJ, that must bring you an enormous amount of pleasure. And I have actually seen you with those girls, your patience of Jove when it comes to uh, training with them and, and riding with them. Uh, do you think that they will continue in the sport too?
1: I, I'm pretty sure that they will, uh, uh... The eldest one, Lucy, she's up in, uh, you know, open class now. She's riding ladies and uh, she's 18 and the youngest one's about nine. So we've got a while to wait, but uh, (laughs) uh, yes, I'm sure that they'll uh, remain there.
0: It's an interesting thing, isn't it? And I think, you know, there would be very few people around who say wouldn't agree with you that that is the great thing about this sport. Anyone can have a go and uh, you can be the best of the best. But if it's not your day then it's not your day and you can go home and sometimes get a whip very early in the piece and you just have to take that. And I think that's one of the great things about this sport. It's a levelling sport. It doesn't matter how good you are. Some days are not your day. Do you think that's the case or? Uh,
1: Absolutely. Some days are diamonds, some days are stones. You know, it's, uh, well, I've seen it on many occasions. Uh, Somebody go and get a 24 yard and the next one they ride in and they get the whip. So, yeah, it's a great leveller.
0: You've had many years in the sport and you are an accredited open judge. That in itself is testimony to something. It's not something that's handed out lightly. It's a big job to be a judge. It's a long day when you're a judge and it's a lot of concentration. What are some of your more memorable days of judging and where do you think is one of the best places to judge in in your time?
1: Uh, Probably the funniest one was my first uh, open judging job. I was judging the ladies at uh, at Comet and... uh, the lady came into the camp, and beast ran up to the front of the crate and turned around and stood it. And a horse was jumping here and jumping there and jumping somewhere else. And then she turned round to me. She said, "Can I have another, another beast?" I, I said, "No, no, sorry." <laughs> anyhow, she she took it out and put it around and got a score and made the final. And uh, we found out how good the horse was in the final.
0: You know, as as a spectator and you know someone involved in the sport. You see some funny things and you see some terrible things. What are some of the things that you see in the sport that really give you the willies and really annoy you that you'd like to see changed or you'd just like to ride over to the rider and go, mate, you need to bush your horse and go and find another sport?
1: Yeah, uh, some of the most frightening things I see is kids put on horses that are far too good for them. I have a pretty good eye and I've had a fair bit to do with it. I can usually tell if a horse is going to buck... Uh, I've seen some, some people on horses that I I could have told you what was going to happen, and I'd like to be able to pull that up before it happens. If you're not judging, you, you can't, you know, you don't have any say to that. But uh, that's probably the main thing, uh, those little kids on, on big, strong horses, they're probably, you know, just a little bit above them for the time. Yeah,
0: it's, uh, it is. Uh,
1: pretty frightening.
0: Yeah. So I guess you would have seen over the years hundreds, probably thousands of riders. Who's your favourite to watch?
1: Uh, oh, well, I like watching my son. <laughs> yes. But uh, Stevie Comiskey, I think, is a, a, obviously a very good rider. He's he won the title this year, but he's a, a very kind to his horses and very soft on his horses. It's something I admire about him. Uh, he seems to be able to to get the job done without too much fuss and bother. So, uh, yeah, I like like to watch TV. I like to watch everybody. I I can sit there and watch camp drafting from daylight till dark.
0: You're renowned for for helping out, and, and I guess that does come back to your time on a committee where you know how hard it is to get people to pull together to do things. No matter where we go in a draft, you're either in the backyard, you're turning back, you're on the gate. Clearly, it is your passion what makes you want to get out there and help those people? Is it just you want to see the draft run, or is it that you know that's what needs to be done to get it done, or is it just that you love doing
1: it? It's a bit of a, it's a bit of selfishness really in a lot of ways, sometimes it's the best viewing point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at the same time you're giving a hand. Uh, as you said earlier, that I, I ran Duringa for a long time, and I know we had a very small committee, and uh, we could never have reached the conclusions that we did without the support of competitors from other drafts mucking in and giving a hand. And I've never ever forgotten that, and I never, while I'm still capable, I'll, I'll give a hand anywhere I can. I think most committees around the country know that.
0: Now, Davo, we've all gone to lots of drafts, and we hear it regularly and often. There's a Davo whip that's up for either a prize, up for an auction. Where and when did you learn to make the whips? And can you just tell us a bit about them? Because they are pretty special. There's never just a standard whip that comes from John Davison. There's always a theme to it. You know, there'll be a pink whip for ladies. There'll be a whip in the color of a sponsor. There'll always be something. When did you learn to do that? And how long did it take you to uh, perfect that craft?
1: I had a great uncle that used to make a whip for us when we were kids and he'd bring it down every year and we didn't value them. We used to flog them to pieces and, uh, oh, it'll be right, Uncle Billy will bring us another one next year, but then Uncle Billy didn't turn up one year. And uh, a few years after that, was, I decided I'd have a bit of a go and I started making green hide whips and I was mucking around with that for a bit. And uh, Jan and AJ gave me a three-day course to RM R. Williams in, in the late... Middle 80s, I think it was. I went down, I did the course with him down at uh, outside of Toowoomba there, a three-day course, uh, making kangaroo hide whips. And uh, I made one whip, and anyhow, I came home, and I, I sort of... I loved, the, loved leather. I loved making things out of leather. And uh, I continued on, and then my dad always said that the best whip he ever had was a shot-loaded whip. Uh, so I started venturing into that a bit, and I... Uh, had shotgun pellets and durex tape and a very very irate wife and uh, shotgun (laughs) pellets all over the floor as you can imagine they're horrid little things to use and uh, then I was waiting for Jan one day in a a curtain shop there and I see this lady roll off a a link to this stuff I said, what's that? She said, it's curtain weighting. I said, uh, how much is that? She said, it's $3 a metre. I said, how much is on that roll? She said, 50 metres. I said, I'll have it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I use for weighting my whips now, and it saved a lot of heartaches and a lot of arguments, and uh, it saves a heck of a lot of time. And it, uh, yeah, so most of my kangaroo hide whips are weighted. The green hide whips, most of them don't need it. They can get enough weight into them without it. And uh, yeah, I, I just like to give back to, to good causes, but like. Uh, Cancer and research and that sort of thing, and I've donated whips. They've been uh, pretty well received. I think that one made four thousand two hundred and fifty dollars here at Paradise one year, and uh, it's put quite a lot of money into uh, cancer research.
0: And uh, you were telling us earlier, you're now into making other leather goods and leather things that pertain particularly to the horse industry. Was that just trial and error, or was it something that that you thought you'd go and learn? Have you taught yourself girths and
1: the likes? Yeah, well, the the girths, I think I'm the only one in Australia that makes them at at this stage. uh, I saw one many, many years ago hanging in a shed and I asked the bloke that owned the place how it originated. He told me back in uh, in the 40s, they were very wet and uh, they uh, um, had a bloke working for him by the name of Claude Fletcher where they horses were fat and gutty and galling and... They were trying to muster because the ticks were killing the cattle and it was bogging. Because they killed and Claude came back next morning and he had this girth made out of green hide, twisted up like a cord girth. And he said he put it on his horse and healed it up and never called another horse afterwards. So I took that on board and had it for about ten years in my mind and I got sick of making whips one day and I thought, oh, I'll give this a go. And I started and making them and uh, I haven't seen anybody else that makes them, but... Uh, uh, all the horse-breaker blokes around Dringer and Dingo and round Rocky here, most of them are using them now because they, they don't gall. And uh, they've become pretty popular. Uh, some of the big stations are buying them in, you know, four and five and six at a time. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just pleasure to be able to put something back into the industry that uh, that will help the horses be more comfortable.
0: We've just talked lots about lots of drafts around. Just how far have you gone in chasing this love and pursuit of yours over the years?
1: Mount Island
0: a that's a fair, That's a fair <laughs> spread and a lot of drafts in between, <laughs> I, I'm gathering. Oh, yes. We've spoken about lots of your mates, John, and I guess here in central Queensland, certainly. You're renowned as your best mate, probably being your brother Barney. Would you like to tell us some stories about you and Barney together? Because uh, we've all certainly seen and experienced the stories, and when the stories get going between you and Barney, we could be there till daylight. Is there a couple of good ones that come to mind?
1: Oh yeah, we've had some. Uh, some of them probably not uh, not able to be put over the uh, <laughs> over this show, but yeah, there's been there's been some. Uh, we've had some pretty good times together, and we travelled a bit together, and uh, uh, our brother he's. Uh, renowned for uh, conning people into giving him a hand to set up camp. I see uh, he roll up and drop the annex out and bring the exit out and have a couple of beers in it and some young fellow coming past he'd say, uh, Hey, laddie, uh, you want a beer? <laughs> uh, hey, yeah, Barney, I'll have a beer. Well, now, just while you're here. <laughs> 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 He'll get in to roll the, uh, wind the legs down on the gooseneck and drop the back door and put the awning up and do it. So it's a fairly expensive beer and a fair bit of experience for some of those younger fellas. <laughs> some of them not all that young either, I might tell you.
0: No, that's uh, that's what it's all about. So, John, where to from here? As I said at the start of the interview, you're 79 and, and I know that you don't ever want to uh, have to give it up. Do you think that there'll be a few more years in you yet or are you going to be happy to hang up your whip? and sit and watch uh, your son and your four granddaughters uh, continue on with uh, the sport that you love? Or will it be the case that we'll be having to wheel you out in a wheelchair to put you on the horse to have another go?
1: I've, I've been there with a walking stick before, but, yeah, no, I think the wheelchair might be a uh, bit, bit out of the question. But I, I'd like to help and what have you going. I, I bought, a, bought a new horse at Tamworth this year, and I'd, I'd like to go back there for the uh, classic and... Uh, he's eligible for two years, so that'd bring me up to 80. I reckon, uh, don't let Jan hear this, but yeah, I might might think about hanging the whip up then.
0: It's been a great pleasure to have you and uh, you certainly are one of the icons of, of the sport of camp drafting within Australia and we uh, thank you much, Lee, for joining us.
1: Thank you, Kate. From the Saddle is brought to you by Hewitt Consulting and Communications. Specializing in rural business and marketing design. Find them on Facebook and Instagram.